Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. It would mean the world to me if you would leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us at Innovation Meets Leadership on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to give us a shout out so we know you're listening to the podcast. My guest today is Danelle Dixon. She is the CEO and Executive Director of Stellar Development Foundation a nonprofit organization using blockchain to unlock the world's economic potential by making money more fluid, markets more open, and people more empowered. Before joining Stellar, Danelle served as COO of Mozilla, one of the most successful mission-driven open source organizations. Welcome to the podcast. Such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so grateful to be out there and available to all the listeners. Well, I'm so excited to speak with you today, and we had your colleague, Jason Chapala on uh, the podcast not long ago. So I would encourage our listeners to also go back and check out that episode as well. Yeah, please do. Jason's amazing. He's our COO at the Stellar Development Foundation and has lots of ideas on liquidity and on the network and what we're doing there. So I encourage everyone to do the same. As we kind of kick off, I want to say that it's an absolute honor to speak to a female CEO. And my hope is that in the future, there will be more female CEOs. So we won't have to make it such a big deal when we when we're speaking to one. But my hope is that that network of, of women moving into higher level positions will continue to grow. Yeah, me too. It's so funny that you say that. Yesterday, we have an enterprise fund at Stellar Development Foundation, and the enterprise fund invests in company companies. And yesterday was my very first time that I had a female CEO pitching us to invest in her company. And I was so thrilled to have that. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's it's truly the rarity out there. And so I just love that you're in this space. I love that that you have the opportunity to to even find other people to to bring up into the space as well. Well, before Stellar, you were actually the COO of Mozilla, which is an open source platform. And I would love to understand a little bit before we jump into the your current organization. How did you push Mozilla to understand how to partner with commercial entities and really be true to your mission of openness and innovation. It seems like those two things might sometimes be in a little bit of opposition to one another, but I would love to hear how you navigated that. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think it's one of those that when you actually are a mission-driven company and you want a lot of the companies that you partner with to be similarly mission-driven, that you sometimes focus there. And instead, what I tried to do was actually focus on the things that both companies needed. So from the Mozilla standpoint, we actually were deeply committed to the mission, but we understood that there were other companies out there that might not necessarily have the same mission, but there, there were competitive advantages that we could both achieve by working together. And so that was a really important part of it was that we didn't always need to have mission aligned companies to work with us, but they needed to be able to achieve the same end game in terms of really getting us closer to our mission about openness and innovation on the web. And then the second part of it that's really important is that every partner that I worked with, I would always say, you need to understand that we want to work with you. We want to partner with you. We want to be deeply connected to you on this. But we're going to have to say really what we feel about different things that you may do that might not seem aligned with our partnership, but it's because we had to feel that we didn't, we weren't tethered to a statement just because we were connected to that partner. So that was a really important piece that I would lay out at the outset. 
So it wasn't as much educating Mozilla as much as it was just being very open and honest with the partners that we worked with and making sure that there was a collaborative place we could get to, to an end result that would achieve both our mission and their goals. Well, I love what you just said, because I feel like there's two leadership principles we can take away from that, which is one, find the common ground. And that's really what you leaned into with that first point. And then two, you have to kind of know your values very clearly, and you have to know what your negotiables and non-negotiables are. So I just, I love that because it applies really across anything you're doing, I think. Oh, absolutely. I think it applies also in parenting, which is something that I leverage exactly the same way. But I do think that it's so important for us always to be not just thinking about what we want, but how to achieve, you know, everybody always says that contracts are those things that you have to write because when something goes wrong, and it's somewhat true because you have to then tie to the language of the contract. But if at the outset, you both understand where you're coming from and where they're coming from and what their goals are, you get to that meeting of, of the minds that just drives a tremendous amount of value for the relationship. And so I am a big believer in everything that we do when that comes to hiring people, when that comes to entering into partnerships, when it comes to investing in companies, that we are both very open about what our ultimate goals are so that you can help to achieve each of those goals for all those different subsets. That's uh, so wise. I, I love what you just said there. And I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about a McKinsey study that's out there about women and, and really leaning into their economic footing. And especially with the space that you're in with Stellar, I wanted to kind of just hear your reaction to, to this article from McKinsey. It talks a little bit about basically that if women participated in the economy at the same level that men did, that the global GDP could triple. I'm just curious as you kind of, you know, as we hear that stat that's out there and you think about the work that you do, can we lean into just what some of your thoughts might be around that? Yeah, I think that it's it's not crazy to, to know that the more people that are participating in an economy and in the financial system, the more valuable that comes at the country level. So, I mean, I think that that's the first thing that's just like, that is just very simply, those are just facts. And the other part of it to understand is that with, women are often blocked from traditional financial services due to the systemic issues like earning income in more informal sectors, lack of identification, insufficient collateral, mobility constraints, limited in terms of financial literacy. And this is not just in the United States, but all over the world. But the research shows that when these women have financial access, the ripple effects are just super powerful, not only for themselves, but for their families, for the communities and for those countries. And so having this access to use all of these, the wide range of financial services enhances not only the contribution of women, but women-led businesses that allows them to grow. And it also allows them to contribute and to create autonomy for those women, just allows better use of their personal and household resources and reduces the vulnerability their households and the businesses have. So I, I think from a macro level, this closing the gender gap and in financial inclusion, it smooths out consumption, lowers financial risks and costs, provides security, increases savings and investment rates. And all of those things increases the bottom line for the GDP. So that is an area that I lean into a lot in the business that, that, that we're trying to drive all these different businesses, because I just feel like giving that access, not only does it achieve deeply our mission, but it just creates the sense of autonomy that a lot of women don't have. Hmm. How do you think just this fintech area as a sector, how can they realistically improve women's life day to day? I mean, how does that actually filter down to, to some of these women that you just talked about? Well, the thing that I love about what we're doing, particularly the, a lot of the businesses that are building on top of our network, 
is they're focusing on these sectors that have been traditionally excluded from the finance from financial services because of these systemic issues that I mentioned. So it's not just women, but women are a significant part of that. And so these services, they're they're not requiring the kind of identity and identification mechanisms that they might not have access to. You know, we take it for granted in this country that you can get a driver's license, but not everyone can. And those mm-hmm. those types of identities are just not available in some countries, particularly to women. And so you don't necessarily need that to be able to hold assets in an account and then to be able to transact with those assets, especially if you're using a mobile device uh, and it's just available to you in that way. So it's clear that these tools are going to be beneficial, not just to women in that are excluded, but also to all sectors that are excluded. And so the other thing that's clear is that the tech workforce today, it doesn't fully represent those communities, the ones that you know we really should be focusing on those consumers and those needs. And yet we see in blockchain that if you, if you leverage this openness of the network, the innovation that happens on the regional level is really focused locally. And so it's solving local problems, which is exactly what I love about what it is that you can do on Stellar. And so it's not someone sitting in Silicon Valley who's telling people in Uruguay how they should be able to leverage the technology. It's people in Uruguay that are building these tools to be able to leverage that technology because of the problems that they see. So the the idea that what we've built and what others are building out there allows for local entities to be able to leverage it and build on it without permission creates this opportunity to really provide for that sector. Wow, that's really powerful as you think about how how each economy can unlock the network in a way where it makes sense for their their country. And that creates some powerful things right there. Well, and it just makes so much sense, right? It's too long. We sit in Silicon Valley or in other parts where there's a lot of tech hubs in other parts of the world, and we think that we can solve those problems. But what we've known, for example, is that the, the tables of, of which people sit around aren't don't have the diversity of thought and the diversity of leadership from a gender, also from different diverse backgrounds. It doesn't have that around those tables. And so really, really relying on those in region to help to figure out the problems and the solutions. It's no surprise that I love openness for that reason, um, because that's exactly what it can drive. Yeah. I mean, I think you're leaning into just a bigger, I think, philosophical issue that I think we face, especially I think about myself, a woman who's been in technology for 20 something years. And oftentimes I've been the only woman at the table, sometimes the only minority. It's just so difficult to figure out, I think, even just in America, how to get diversity at the table, how to get the right people to sit at the table, because we know when they do, companies become more, they become more profitable when we have a diversity of thought, a diversity of background. And so it's something I think that most companies want. Oftentimes they don't know necessarily how to tap into that. And I think even what you're leaning into with the open source network is that you're constantly bringing diversity of thought to to what people are building because they're contextualizing it with their situation. You're a thousand percent right. And I will also say that part of my frustration is that people who are in positions of authority or positions where you can actually make decisions about investment or where you can actually move the needle need to be more focused on this as an important issue. I will tell you, and you can ask any company that's done a pitch to me, at the end of almost every single one of those meetings, I have said to them, that was great. Thanks so much. This is a wonderful opportunity. And I will tell you, 
it's so much better if you have more diversity in your management team. And I encourage you to grow your management team in that way. And those kinds of indicators from people in positions making those decisions changes. It really changes the dynamic. And so part of it is all of us being really committed to that because it isn't, it, it's just a fact that having diverse perspectives around the table changes the discussion. It is just a fact. And so we all know that to be true. And yet in a lot of circles, you continually say this, you see the same people at the table. That is the most frustrating thing to me. And so what I try to lean into is all of these different people that are, you know, CEOs or their companies that are focused on investment criteria and just encouraging them to say those very simple things and to push on that when you're making investments or when you're thinking about who to support or who to do who to have a relationship with in a partnership. These are all really important things to to bring up and to not be afraid of it because the facts support that it's actually beneficial for all of us. How would you say you do that um, practically? If there's a leader, someone in the C-suite, even listening to this podcast right now, you know, I think a lot about my early tech career. All my mentors were men. And so even when I talk to other women that were mentored by other women, they're like, oh, my experience was completely different, right? Because it was a woman speaking into their their life, not a man. And I appreciate all the many, many men that have come alongside of me and helped me in my career and, and challenged me and, and grown me and, and helped me see the next opportunity. But I just wonder, what practically does that look like for someone um, that's running an organization or someone that's in a C-suite in an organization um, more so than just, you know, telling the leaders you lead, Hey, hire for diversity. What does the practicality of that look like? Like how do we really put something like that to practice? Yeah. You really have to make it a priority and you have to be committed to it as an organization. And you have to also, you know, we bring in unconscious bias training into the organization because we, you know, everybody carries all, all different pieces of bias. And I think it's good for us to recognize that. So that's like the the first level is just how you approach these kinds of issues in your organization and be open to the fact that sometimes you're going to be wrong and you're going to get something wrong. And you want to hear from your, your, all of your employees to tell you, wait, I don't like the way we did that. And just to be open to that. So that kind of transparency and back and forth is really important. Second, just in hiring alone, you know, that is your opportunity to create diversity. Every headcount is an opportunity to generate more creativity and thought and bring in that diverse background. And so you need to have a diverse slate and you need to be a thousand percent committed to it because I will promise you that it is easier for you just to say, oh, if you have a friend that wants to come in here, yeah, bring that friend in and they might look the same as the rest of your workforce. And that friend might be amazing, but you should also make sure that you're interviewing at least others that have a diverse background and can bring different thoughts into the organization before you just make that hire. Doesn't mean you won't ultimately make it, but at least you're going to get a different perspective. So the diverse slate is one of the most important things and you have to work at it. And you have to force yourself to do it because sometimes when you're in a pinch and you're just like, oh, I need to hire this headcount, it's easier and you can't do that. And that's just the way we have a role at our company and that's how we do it. And we also constantly look up, with the, look at the makeup of teams and say, okay, what is this team? Like, what would be great to bring into this team in terms of the technical skills or the, the business skills, but also like what perspectives don't we have represented here? And it's just really good to have that kind of constant discussion about it because then you're not afraid to be able to, to make those decisions based on that. So it's just a constant reminder to you and the organization that it's important. I love that. What would you say for maybe men that are listening to this podcast, about half of our listeners of this podcast are men. 
if they're trying to find more women in leadership to sit at their table and they feel like they're they're having some trouble finding those people, how would you help them kind of broaden their mindset on on where to look or or how to locate female leaders to sit at the table? Yeah, I do think that first of all, I also my my um the mentors that I had in every different facet of my life were men. I strongly connected to them and to what they allowed me to do. And I have some women also that were Mitchell Baker, the founder of Mozilla. She was also someone who really, I learned a lot from her. So there's just this, this nice background in terms of the ability to work with everyone and bring everyone together. And I think that, you know, one of the things that um, as a male CEO, for example, or as a male in leadership that you're trying to get different backgrounds into the org, and if you're focused on gender as being one of the ones you want to be able to bring in, I think you need to be open to the fact that, you know, you got to look at your job description. Most of the time, we don't actually see it, but the job descriptions are highly tailored to a specific background that for the most part, particularly in the financial services sector, are tailored to men. And so you need to broaden the language in that. There's some tools out there that you can use, actually, that can help you to change that to make sure that it is more open to different backgrounds and different perspectives. You also need to make sure that you have other women on the interview panel, even if they're more junior women that they're interviewing with, so they can see other people in the organization that they can either support or they can learn from. Like That's a really important piece of it, so that everyone feels like there's a community amongst them that they can bring into it. And mostly you have to, you know, get referrals from friends and whatnot of other people, but you need to open up your, what I did when I was hiring a VP of engineering, I wanted the best VP of engineering that I could find, but I wanted to make sure that my, my slate was diverse and that I had all different perspectives represented. And I hired a recruiting firm and gave them that as the scope. I want to see people from all different backgrounds. And we ultimately ended up hiring uh, Karen Chang, who is our VP of engineering. And she's amazing. But it was because I made it very clear to the recruiting firm. Well, I went out and did the recruiting firm instead of just trying to do the hires from our normal recruiters internally who are great. But I wanted a very, I wanted to make sure I had the very diverse backgrounds that I was looking for. And, you, and I held true to it throughout. It's easy to not hold true to it, by the way, but I did. And I think that that's the way that you need to show that commitment. That's powerful because I, I do agree that when you're, you're ready for a hire, <laughs> by the time you've gotten to that point and you've substantiated it with here's what we need, here's why we need it. You're you're already past ready to have that person in the door. And so I do agree that it takes it takes a lot of uh, commitment to stay with it and to have that level of intentionality. But that's it's powerful because it lasts for the long term. I have a just a maybe a little bit of a personal question. Did you ever see yourself becoming CEO of an organization? No, my career path was definitely not linear. I was born and raised in Gilroy, California, very small town at the time when I lived there. And I was born into a family, it was an incredibly loving family, but a family that no one had ever gone to school, uh, college. And so going to college was a huge deal in my family. And I just knew that what I, what I loved was just learning. I loved the learning and the intellectual stimulation of it. And, you know, you know, even I would say like just even a few years ago, I maybe five years ago or so, I wouldn't have said that I needed to be a CEO to feel like I was successful because I loved the job that I was doing. But ultimately, what I have learned is that really wanting to grow something and to really focus on the people and the talent that you can bring on and that you can just, you learn so much from them. It's actually just created so much of this virtuous circle for me in terms of my growth. So I'm super glad that I'm here, but it wasn't something that I'd say 10, 15 years ago that I thought that I was going to do. 
I love that. What would you say to women who are in an executive leadership position about how should they position themselves to lead? What are some of the things they should be thinking about or preparing for? So I can only say the way that I lead, I lead with honesty, with transparency, and I try to be very strategic in terms of the things that I see that are important out there for us as an organization. I also think it's really important. And this is just, again, my style. I lead with a lot of humanity in that I recognize that, you know, my life is very complicated, my personal life, and we have lots of children and having to balance all of these different pieces. And I think leading an organization, recognizing that, you know, these are hard things to be able to do, to have all of these things that go on, not just with children, but like with parents and grandparents and all these different balances that we have in our life. And so leading with that human compass that I get it. There's a lot of stuff that's going on behind your closed doors that I don't know and I don't need to know, but I want you to know that I know that's happening and I support you and I want you, I'm so grateful that you're contributing here. Recognizing that this is a two-way street in terms of, you know, the employees are going to give to the organization, but we need to give back and give them what they need, which is just not a paycheck. It's also, what do they want to do with their careers in the next five years? Are we, are we getting them there? Um, So these are all, I lead in that way. And I think that you know, it doesn't work for everyone. And I think it it works for me. And that's really the only way that I know how to do it. So uh, I think you got to figure out what your thing is, and and how you're going to approach all of these challenging and complicated issues that we have to deal with as CEOs and leaders in a company, and figure out how best you can reflect back to the organization what's important to you. Well, I love that, because what I hear is just authenticity and vulnerability, being just part of your DNA. And that when you lead through that lens, I think it just creates so much more opportunity to have a relationship with those that you lead from a place of mutual respect. And I, I just love that. Any final thoughts for our listeners? I'm just so honored that you had me. Grateful for the time for folks that listened. And thank you so much. Keep on doing this great work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. You can follow Danelle at LinkedIn or Twitter, or you can also go over to Stellar org to learn more. And to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.